To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash donate. To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash donate. So here's the thing about economic news. Not all of it is straight up about the economy. From American Public Media, this is Marketplace. In Los Angeles, I'm Kai Rizdal. It's Wednesday today, January the 3rd. Good as always to have you along, everybody. I'll explain that somewhat cryptic open in a second, but we will begin today with a brief, a very brief, I promise, spin through the minutes of the Federal Reserve's December meeting, which were released today. In a nutshell, some of the members of the Federal Open Market Committee said, yeah, interest rates are good where they are. Some of them said, yeah, we might have to keep them where they are for a while. Ain't nobody said, yeah, let's cut. Mentioned 15 times in the 10 pages of minutes, by the by, the phrase labor market, an indication one can fairly assume of the keen eye that the central bank is keeping on it. This is, as it happens, a big week in jobs. The December unemployment report comes Friday morning. Today, it was the November jolt, the job opening and labor turnover survey. Job openings and new hires both dropped a smidge. So did layoffs and quits, however. And that's of a piece with the way the job market's been going, slowly cooling, but still pretty warm. The Bureau of Labor Statistics describes the trend in this report, and it did describe it the way through much of the back half of 2023, with the phrase, little changed. Marketplace's Megan McCarty-Carino translates. The phrase is basically BLS speak for not a whole lot to see here, which was often the case with the JOLTS report before the pandemic. Jolts is boring again, uh, and I think that's broadly a good thing. Nick Bunker is an economist at Jobsite Indeed, and he's a bit of a Jolts hipster. He was into it before it was cool. His wife even gave him a Jolts-themed Christmas present, a vintage-looking pennant banner that says Jolts, like a beloved sports team. It became a bit of a shtick that I just was very excited about this under-the-radar data series. But it's been on the radar since the pandemic jolted layoffs, job openings, and quits. More people jumped on the jolt bandwagon. It was very much like having a favorite song by a less well-known artist, and all of a sudden then people start playing it on the radio. People like Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. The job openings uh, number has in jolts has been quite volatile. About a year ago, when Powell mentioned the report at a press conference, there were almost two open jobs for every available worker, according to Mark Hamrick at Bankrate. But now... What we're seeing with a lot of the data is moderation, and I would dare add the word normalization. 
The open jobs-to-worker ratio is near pre-pandemic levels, and hiring and quits have dropped below that mark, says Julia Pollack, chief economist at job site ZipRecruiter. I think that the JOLTS report's moment in the spotlight is over. It is no longer going to be a market-moving report going forward. So Nick Bunker at Indeed might have that bandwagon back to himself. I'm Megan McCarty-Carino for Marketplace. Gotta love that banner, Nick Bunker got, huh? Wall Street on this Wednesday. Man, 2024 is kind of a bummer so far, huh? We'll have the details when we do the numbers. A couple of years ago, I interviewed a guy named Reuben Jonathan Miller. He's an associate professor of sociology at the University of Chicago, and he had just written a book called Halfway Home about what he called the afterlife of mass incarceration, all the barriers that people face after doing their time. People, including his own brother, who needed a place to live as a condition of his parole, but who couldn't stay with Miller because Miller was in university housing. In faculty housing, you know, you can't have people with criminal records living in your homes. So Miller made arrangements for his brother to rent a friend's apartment. But the dear friend ended up renting that apartment to someone else. <laughs> and, so, and so we're scrambling to find him a place to stay. We eventually land on him staying in the apartment with the dear friend. And so the probation officer comes out to inspect the apartment. And I get a text message from him telling me uh, that the placement, the probation placement has failed because my dear friend had two dogs. And people with felony records can't live in places that have large dogs. So this was the struggle. We're going to spend some time over the next couple of months going back, talking to authors about what has happened since they wrote their books. Professor Miller, it is good to have you back on again. Good to be back. Really great to be with you. As we just talked about, as I just talked about uh, up in the introduction, uh, we ended... Last time with you and your brother and the challenges that you had housing him in, in the afterlife of mass incarceration, if I could riff on the on the subtitle of your book. Give us an update, would you? How's he doing? Where'd you find a place for him? And, and what's the latest? Well, we, we found a place for him and, you know, with a wonderful um, organization that works to house formerly incarcerated people. You know, he's had some hiccups. He, he got rearrested a couple of times, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over the last you know, few months, he's stabilized. He has a place. Um, he's looking for work. He kind of lost his job uh, the last time he went in, but um, we're, we're, we're hopeful. Well, well, that's that's good to hear. Not the re-rest part, but the hopeful part. Uh, and that gets me to my question about what you've been doing since. You have been working uh, since the last time we spoke on on these things that you call moral worlds for those in, in a post-incarceration life. And, and I want you to explain, first of all, what that means, and then we can talk about them. Sure, sure. So so I've been very interested uh, for some years now in how we respond to people who've committed acts of violence, largely because I've been very interested in what we do with people we've learned to be afraid of. Right. You know, And so, and so the, the moral world, as I'm imagining it, are the institutions and people that people who've committed acts of harm 
bump into and against as they try to make a life for themselves. So I'm very interested in, for example, the role of uh, probation officers, but also mothers, librarians, teachers uh, who are responding to the needs uh, of people that we've learned to be afraid of and, and how this prejudgment um, kind of shapes the trajectory of their lives from from that moment forward. This is probably a hard question to answer, but how do we unlearn to be afraid of the people that you have been studying about? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I'm not sure that we begin by unlearning fear. I think we start from, from, from a position of inclusion, despite how we feel, that, that we base how we respond to people who've committed acts of harm, violent acts even, that based on what we believe to be the right thing to do, not based on how we feel from moment to moment. Um, and, and, and there are a hundred reasons why I'm, I'm making this point, but I, I'm, I'm sure there's a follow-up question. So <laughs> no, no, so. keep 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 going. Actually, because this this is this is the root of the work you've been doing. I think right is it's the it's the trust that we have to have in giving them our trust. Right. That's absolutely right. And and so 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 there's about a, there's a hundred years of criminological literature that supports the idea that the response to crime, the response to violence that we see that works best is in fact us allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. You know, what we've done is 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 more or less the opposite. You know, someone's committed and it, it makes sense, someone's committed a harmful act. We have reason to be afraid of this person. And in response to that fear, we've built institutions, we've built uh, entire markets, labor markets, we've written laws and policies that push them away, that, that keep them far away from us. But the literature tells us that when people have access to the things they need, the material resources they need, but also communities that, are, that trust them, that's when we see crime reduction. That's when we see people turn from behaviors that we don't like. So the more we run, the more we hide from the problem, the less we face it, the more of the problem we end up with. What I'm suggesting is that we figure out how to embrace people who've caused acts of harm, um, which seems counterintuitive, but, but, but it is, in fact, um, what the literature suggests works. Give me an example. Tell me a story from your research. Oh, 100%. So, so there's a, a drug robber, <laughs> you know, who, who I call Zoe, uh, who had been, you know, locked away for many things. Uh, the last time he had been locked away was because he, he shot someone. Uh, and the person survived, thankfully. And he did, you know, 15 years mm-hmm. altogether, about 15 years. And he comes home. He he needs a place to stay. He's living at a halfway house that, and in this case, the halfway house, you know, wasn't the best. It, it, it charged its its residents rent. It was charging Zoe about four hundred dollars a month, and he had no way to get it. Yeah. He's taking a walk around the block. You know, nobody would hire him because he's got this felony for a violent act. And 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 what does he see on the corner? But quote, two dope boys flashing their cash, talking their <laughs> stuff is what he was <laughs> what he tells me. Yeah. And he's sitting here faced with this dilemma. You know, should I rob them? You know, I need the money because I can't be evicted. If I'm evicted, I can go back to jail because homelessness, it, well, not having an address is a violation of parole. Um, but he makes a decision, a very hard decision not to. And he gets on the bus and he goes to a halfway house and he knocks a different halfway house, a good organization that, that offers people a chance to sort of thrive in, in, in their own ways. And he knocks on the door, but they don't have room for him. They say there's a waiting list, but they say, tell you what, we'll let you sleep on the couch. And if you can just ride out this wait while we're waiting on a bed to open, then we'll allow you in. And they do. They hire him as a groundskeeper. 
He gets promoted from groundskeeper to case manager. Ten years later, he's a program manager. He runs the program. He's now the executive director of that program. Hmm. Uh, and, he, and he hasn't committed another crime since. But they took a chance on him. They trusted him. And it paid off. So that organization obviously has done an amazing thing for this guy. Uh, and, and, you know, you focus on them and, and it's your research, so you get to do what you want. I wonder, though, if the key <laughs> moment in that whole thing wasn't him standing there in the street corner and saying, no, I'm not going to rob these guys. I need to do something else. And I guess my question is, how how do we get to how do we get to get more people in his situation, in Zoe's situation, to make that decision, right? Because that's the linchpin. Well, he had to see an alternative in that moment, too. He remembered this organization. And what I didn't mention was that he heard about it in prison. So what the organization did was they sent people on the inside to talk about the kinds of programs that they (laughs) offered. But he saw opportunity is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, this is going to sound flip, but it's a, it's marketing by this halfway house, right? That's what it was. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. But 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 the kind of marketing really matters. So right. it's it is marketing, but it's the kind of marketing that says there's a place for you here. We don't care what you did. We understand you made a mistake, but we believe you can change. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. No. Totally. It it does occur to me though that. Taking that chance, and look, halfway houses are in that line of work, but but many That's other right. companies and businesses and people in this economy are not. Um, it, it's not without risk taking that chance on a person. No, there is absolutely risk involved, and this is why vulnerability is necessary, and this is why I think we have to move away from the fear-based responses that we've had for so long, because what's required to move past any sort of conflict, it kind of doesn't matter where you look in the world. Almost any, you know, there are all these stories of of people who receive, for example, former child soldiers. And and the thing that gets the child soldier from engaging in the action of harming other people is is that moment of embrace where someone says, I know you've caused harm, but there's a place for you here. And so, and so, but to the but to the point about risk, there is risk because people could, for example, mess up. Mm-hmm. I mean, so right now, for example, I just left this morning, you know, before this call, mm-hmm. uh, an organization called Chicago Cred, and the entire basis of of this program it's run by it was founded by Arnie Duncan, oh, yeah. um, and former Secretary of Education. Yeah, th- that's absolutely right. And the, the the entire basis of this program is that if people are given opportunities, you know, access to employment, therapy that they might need, the kind of counseling that they might need, and the training, both the hard skills and the soft skills to be productive in the economy, once given the opportunity, they'll take it and they'll thrive. And, and I was talking to them about their job placement and their job placement is fantastic. It's, you know, it's in the last year, they had something like 150 or 160 people. They placed two thirds of them in either part time or full time jobs. And those people are able to keep their jobs. Hmm. So if if part of your calling in doing this work, because clearly it's a calling for you, as we talked about in the first interview and your brother and your family and, and all of that, um, if part of your calling in this work is to proselytize for <laughs> people who are formerly incarcerated, right? And to to carry their burden to the non-incarcerated public, which is most of us. Um, if if you could get, I was going to say President Biden, but really it's not a federal thing, right? It's a it's a state thing and a local right. thing. If if you could That's get right. all fifty governors in sequence on the phone, what would the message be? Okay, so 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 I think that the fifty governors and President Biden 
have to take inclusion seriously, that it's not a buzzword. And we have to ask what full democratic participation looks like. What does it mean to be able to fully operate in the political economy and culture? That the folks who committed violent acts, even even violent crimes, and this is one of the reasons why I'm focusing on violence now, because it's such a hot issue. It's mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm, so hard sure. to get our head around what to do with somebody who's hurt someone. But, but they'll only change if they're given the opportunity to change. And that opportunity to change should include the opportunity to thrive. It, it can't just be the job at McDonald's. It can't just, I mean, not, McDonald's is wonderful. You know, and McDonald's should hire people who have records. You know, it's, it's, you know, hire people. I, I might stop at McDonald's after this interview. Like, like who knows? But, <laughs> but, 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 but that can't be the horizon. Their horizon can't be based on it just in the service industry. Folks need to lead. Uh, think of them as any other human being who's, but just one who's made a mistake. That would be my message to them. What you are asking for here, not unreasonably at all, is for the non-incarcerated public and people who are not familiar with the stresses and strains and the costs and the burdens of carceral America, right? You are asking for a certain amount of grace uh, from the wider population. Uh, And I guess I wonder what gives you hope that you will get that grace. Well, two things. Uh, You know, one is the fact that half of American families who have a loved one who's done time. Mm. The, the, the fact that something like a third of American adults have a criminal record of some sort, that while 49% of black boys have been arrested before they turn to age 23, 38% of white boys in this country, and I say boys, will be arrested yeah. before they turn the age of 23. And so, so I think that that's forcing us to wrestle with this problem head on. And I think the place to start is the hard place. I think that the mistake we've made is we've been tinkering around the edges because we've been trying to find the most sympathetic figure that we can help, mm-hmm. the nonviolent, non-serious, non-sexual offender. And while it makes a lot of sense because it's the easiest thing to do politically, the truth of the matter is most people make mistakes and they make bad ones. You know, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. and so and so when we when we look inside the jail or prison, about half of the folks who are locked away are locked away for a crime of violence. I also think that the real measure of one's moral compass is about how you respond to people that you don't like. What needs to happen is people have to pretend as if they believe that these folks are human beings. And they deserve a human community that responds to them. Pretend as if you believe it and start from that place. That's the place to legislate from. That's the place to think about your hiring practices from, even if you're a little afraid yourself. It's about doing the right thing, not being motivated by how something feels in a moment. We first talked to Reuben Jonathan Miller three-ish, four years ago about his book. It was called Halfway Home, Race Punishment and the Afterlife of Mass Incarceration. As you have just heard, he has been busy since. <laughs> Professor Miller, thanks for your time, sir. I do appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Coming up. I don't get as much downtime as I used to. I'm trying to change that. Same, same, and same. First, though, let's do the numbers. Dow Industrial is off 284 today, three quarters of 1%, finished at 37,430. The NASDAQ subtracted 173 points. That works out to 1.2% almost, 14,592. The SP 500 gave up 38 points, eight tenths percent. 
47 and 4. Brent crude rose 3.4% today. West Texas Intermediate welled up almost 3.7%. That was, of course, great for oil companies. ExxonMobil added 8 tenths percent. Chevron pocketed almost 1 and 9 tenths percent. Marathon Petroleum ascended 3 and 6 tenths percent. Why, you ask? Three words. Red Sea Houthi. You're listening to Marketplace. Dell Technologies is celebrating 40 years with anniversary savings on their most popular tech, like the XPS 13 Plus, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Save now at dell.com slash deals. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. This is Marketplace. I'm Kai Rizdal. Megan McCarty-Carino was telling us earlier about job openings and layoffs in this economy. Same, same is the basic gist. But it is a firm belief of this program that for all the headlines, what really matters is how people are experiencing things in their day-to-day. And if you and your day-to-day are looking for a job, it is tough out there. Drawn out interviews, take-home assignments, no real sense of where and when things might be happening. And there is an added challenge. Companies not infrequently list jobs they don't actually plan to fill or aren't going to fill anytime soon. Marketplace's Kristen Schwab explains what's going on there. Pretty much everyone knows what it feels like to hunt for a job. You revamp your resume, send out a zillion applications, and you wait. If you're unemployed in a down market, it is stressful and every day feels like a month. Uh, Every month feels like a year. Dan Kaplan is a senior partner at Corn Ferry, an HR consulting firm. He says job seekers rarely know what's happening on the other side of an application. And in some cases, what's happening is absolutely nothing. As in, the position doesn't even exist. It's called a ghost job. And Kaplan says it isn't new. In all practical sense, it's existed for many years. Um, and it means a number of different things. Ghost jobs can be an innocent oversight. A recruiter puts up open positions and gets laid off or forgets to take them down once they're filled. But Kaplan says sometimes employers post ghost jobs on purpose so that to investors, it looks like the company is growing. And to overworked and frustrated employees, it looks like help is on the way. The most common type of ghost job, though, is talent hoarding. You keep postings out there. You collect a large pool of resumes. You may, in fact, make contact with candidates, interview them just so that you have a large pool of talent. But you don't plan on actually filling the job anytime soon or hiring. He says this happens in a lot of industries, especially tech. And it might be more common now because businesses are anxious. They laid off workers at the beginning of the pandemic, then had a hard time hiring them back when they needed them. They laid off people again when wages and interest rates rose. Now they're waiting for the economy to give them the green light to grow again. It gives you a pool that you can very quickly ramp back up. Ghost jobs might just be a temporary symptom of an uncertain economy. But Erica Groshen, an economist at Cornell and former commissioner of the Bureau of Labor Statistics, says the way companies hire and candidates job hunt is changing. 
we're moving to a new equilibrium where everybody just applies to more jobs than they used to. Because with job boards, it's easier than ever to throw your hat in the ring. Meanwhile, companies are taking longer to screen applicants. Now it's worth it for the employers to hold the jobs open longer, look through more resumes because they have a hope that they're actually going to find a worker who's better suited. In 2023, the average number of days it takes companies to hire hit an all-time high of 44 days, with many jobs open for three months or more. Vicky Salemi, a career expert at the job site Monster, says in this hiring environment, it's hard to tell if a posting is a ghost job. I wish I could say here are the top three red flags to look for as a job seeker in these ads to see if they're real or not real. There aren't any telltale signs. Once upon a time, a posting that's been open for a while might be a red flag. Now, Salemi encourages job seekers to apply anyways. She says if you do get an interview, ask about the company's hiring timeline. Ask them, when are you looking to fill this position? And do your due diligence throughout the interview process if you discover that what they say they're now backtracking, because that is a sign of their values and their culture. And you have to ask yourself, is this an organization I would want to be part of? That is, if you don't get ghosted first. I'm Kristen Schwab for Marketplace. This isn't much of a secret if you're a music person, but vinyl? It's doing pretty well. According to Verified Market Research, which is, just like it sounds, a market research firm, Vinyl Records was a nearly $2 billion market in 2022, expected to be $4 billion by 2030. Some portion of those sales happen at the record and comic store Offbeat in Jackson, Mississippi. Philip Rollins, proprietor. We're winding down, getting a lot of traffic from people that are visiting in town. Sold a lot of turntables, um, sold a lot of speakers. A lot of people are looking for certain records, so there's a lot of new um, record buyers coming in. So I'm also teaching people how to take care of their records as well, too. Just working every day is less is a big challenge. Um, I don't get I don't get as much downtime as I used to. I'm trying to change that because um, my laundry pile of laundry is packed. It's like stacking up, so I'm trying to catch up on it now, as well as like go through clothes that I need to get rid of, go throw, give it to Goodwill. But um, I'm I'm about to make a lot more time for myself. Otherwise, I'm gonna end up getting myself sick. <laughs> It's gone pretty much how I expected it to go as far as retail season. It's just been weird, especially with, you know, the amount of um, inflation going on. I had a woman, she bought like two records and it almost was like $100. She was with a friend and she she was like, is that normal? And he was like, yeah, that's normal. (laughs) Because one was like a used, really good condition Billie Holiday record and she had bought a brand new Billie Holiday record. They were like 50 and 40 bucks, 50 and 45 bucks. So yeah, just, you know, trying to explain to people and getting people to understand like, yeah, um, the better condition the record is, the better it's going to be a little bit more costly. There's, it's going to be a lot more education throughout the year, um, explaining that to people who are just getting into shopping and digging for records. And um, I'm looking forward to it, honestly, because people are really excited about their new record players. Philip Rollins educating us about records, the vinyl kind, and the recent retail season at Offbeat in Jackson, Mississippi.
This final note on the way out today, real quick, because we're a little bit squeezed. You might have heard the Treasury Department now says the national debt has topped $34 trillion with a T dollars. Here is a perhaps nerdy point to make. Almost $27 trillion of that is what we actually owe. It's called debt held by the public. That's you and me, Japan, for instance. Seven or so is what's called intergovernmental holdings, what one part of the government owes to another. Either way, yes, a lot of money. Media production around here is Brian Allison, Jake Cherry, Justin Dooler, Drew Jostat, Gary O'Keefe, Charlton Thorpe, Juan Carlos Dorado, and Becca Weinman. Jeff Peters is the manager of media production. I'm Kyle Rizno. We will see you tomorrow, everybody. This is APM. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.